Open your Bibles up to John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter number one. That's going to be where we're going to be for just a little bit. We're going to start here, and then we're going to segue over to the book of Ephesians. And so I want you guys to, to kind of follow with me in your mind and also with your Bibles. The, the title of the message this evening is entitled, The Fullness of Christ. And I'm going to read it because I'm on drugs. So um, I, I'm afraid I might lose my balance and fall off, the st- off, the, uh, off down these stairs. So, all right. The fullness of Christ. I love talking about Jesus. I love it. And uh, I'm gonna, that's really the whole thrust of everything we're going to be dealing with tonight. Um, I'm glad to see you're here. I hear there's a great threat of bad weather, um, but it just delights my heart that you came anyway uh, to dig into your Bible. So uh, let's start off with a word of prayer before we delve into this topic. So Lord, we thank you so much that there is so much power in the cross. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. And, and when we think about you and your, your compelling love and how you've changed us and you're continuing to change us, it overwhelms our souls with gratitude We're delighted to be called the children of God, and I pray that tonight as we open the word of God that you will give us an unusual spirit of wisdom, help us to understand things, help us to to allow you to change us from the inside out, and I pray, God, that you will be glorified in a magnificent way in our presence this evening as you have already begun. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 1. I'm going to read two verses to you. Uh, in this particular chapter, verses 14 and 15, and for the sake, we'll go all the way to 16. So listen to how John writes. He says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. We've all received something from God's grace, um, gift upon gift. Jesus is absolutely full of grace and truth, and his fullness, we all receive one degree of grace or another. Jesus is lacking nothing. It's, it's amazing when you think about that. It, it screams the supremacy of Christ. There, th- these verses wave a huge banner of truth before us tonight that I want to illustrate. It, it, it's exclaiming to us the magnificent supremacy of Christ in all things, over all things. He is far superior than angels. He's better than religion. He's better than any human relationship. I like how Paul said it in Colossians in chapter 1, verse 19. He said, For it pleased the Father that in Jesus should all fullness dwell. Which is the reason why I entitled this, this message, The Fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21 explains this even more clearly. Uh, Paul says, Far above all principalities, government, all power and might and dominion, and every name that is named... Not only is in this world, but also in that which is to come. Jesus is better than it all. What a way to start the service tonight. Jesus is the pinnacle. He is at the very precipice of glory and joy. Man, I love Jesus. All right, so with that said, I have to be honest with you. It makes me feel really puny. (laughs) I mean, it does. Uh, It really accents my insufficiencies. Isn't it true that we all often feel opposite of full, 
I mean, you know, you go, you go through your day and you're overwhelmed, you're stressed, you're burdened, you're frustrated with weird people you work with. They look funny, they smell funny. You know, oftentimes we're undone. We are absolutely incomplete in a lot of ways. I tend to think of this like puzzle people. Anybody in here a big puzzle lover? Like puzzle lovers in here? Raise your hand if you're a puzzle lover. Yes, you guys are weird. Okay, I cannot, I cannot relate to puzzle people. I don't, I don't understand it. I have my own issues, um, but puzzle people can, can appreciate what I'm getting ready to say. I personally hate puzzles, but puzzle lovers know when, I'm, when, when I say something about going through great lengths to finish a puzzle that perhaps maybe has been around your family for a long time, and, uh, and, uh, and you work so hard and labor so long only to discover that one or two pieces are missing, isn't it agonizing? I mean, you work so hard, and, it, and, and there's a piece missing, and you just want I mean, you are undone. You're frustrated. You're ready to throw this stinking thing out the window. You work so long and hard. Oh, the agony involved in puzzles. All right. Well, you, you feel so frustrated and undone. It really, it really bothers you to think that, you know, you put so much effort into something, and it can never be completed. Well, I realize that, that many of us feel this same way about life about relationships, about ourselves. This is really accented, especially around the holidays when you get around family, isn't it? Around people that you love or we say we love, all right? Have, have you noticed that um, we are very vulnerable around people that we love? I, in particular, our, I mean, our relationships with our family are, are, are very unstable because we are so interested in people treating us fairly, Mom has always favored the younger brother, or she, is, she has it so easy. Don't, don't, don't talk to me about responsibilities. You're the one who's living in your home playing video games at the age of 35. No, I mean, that, that might be my family. Sorry, that's my family. Okay, so, that's a, so you get frustrated. Don't, don't judge me either, because you know you have family like that too. Um, but we are all focused on being treated right. But, but why, why, do we, why does this matter so much to us? Have you ever asked yourself why Jesus never was concerning himself with being treated fairly or right? The reason is because he was already full. He was, he was already satisfied. So his joy was, was not contingent upon how this person was going to treat him or how that person was going to treat him. It, because he was already complete. And this is why I want to teach us how to experience the fullness of Christ. Because we're supposed to be different people in this world. But I think far too often we concentrate on being treated fairly. Or we're, we're unhappy or we're undone when things don't go the way we want it to. And I think it has everything to do with our lack of understanding about the fullness of Christ. So I believe with all my heart, tonight could help us get a better grip of what this is like. And how we can experience this in our everyday life. How can we experience the fullness of Christ in our everyday life, because that's a big Christian cliche, isn't it not? Oh, Jesus, he's full of glory, you know. He is, he's gives you everything you ever want. All you got to do is ask him. Well, great. Well, how does that look like in my life? How, how do I experience that in my life? What's it look like for Joe Catronio? So here's what I want to say and kind of leading into this thought. Jesus himself said in John 15, verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. It's Jesus' intention that you experience the fullness of Christ. 
That's his intention. The question is, are you? Or do you want to? So tonight I want to show you two things. And it's all coming out of the book of Ephesians. We'll come back to John at the end of the message. But uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 2. Because in this particular book, Paul outlines for us how we can experience the fullness of Christ in our everyday life. There's a couple things he sets in in motion. He kind of lays the foundation for us. And tonight I want to do the same. The first thing he illustrates to us is that we need to understand what he calls our position in Christ. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul's continuing his thought process from the previous chapter, which was all talking about Jesus' supremacy above all things. And he says in verse number 1 that he has given us life. Listen to this. Verse number 1, chapter number 2, he says, And you hath he quickened, which means alive, okay? Um, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I, every time I read that verse, I think of Frankenstein. You know, he's alive, he's alive, you know. Okay, I, I think of Frankenstein when I read that passage because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. You are alive. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. Now, now, now drop down with me to verse number six. Paul uses some very peculiar phrases here to describe this new life that we have. All right, in verse number six he says, And hath, speaking of Christ, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of things here in this verse that I want to explain. All right, there, he's talking about your position in Christ. And I'm convinced that if we want to experience this fullness of Christ, we got to understand where we're at. Where are we at in this Christian life? Because if, I, if Jesus said that I'm, I'm supposed to, it's his intention that I live in the fullness of Christ. And i got to know where I'm at. Where am I at with Christ? Well, in this passage, he says that we're in Christ Jesus, made to sit, is the first phrase he uses. Let me under, I'm going to understand the implications of what it means to sit. I am convinced that, that this is in itself the secret to the fullness of Christ. This is where Christianity begins. This is where we, where we, we, where we remain for all of eternity. Um, a friend of mine and, and I are doing this Bible study right now through this book, um, Ephesians. And, you know, I'm getting ready to start it with another person but we're doing this study through the, um, a famous Chinese preacher. All right, his name is Watchman Nee. How many of you guys have ever heard of the book, Sit, Walk, Stand? All right, it's a great book. I recommend it to everybody in the room. Um, but Sit, Walk, Stand, he, he brings out some, some very interesting thoughts um, from this particular thing. Listen to what he says about this verse. He said, most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to sit. In other words, Try to work in order to be able to enjoy Christ. He says, that's not the way it works. In fact, that's the reversal of the true order. Man, how true is that? How true? Maybe you've been there. You've been so frustrated because you've been trying to be a good Christian. So hard at, at working so hard at doing the right things and saying the right things and treating people right and being treated right. And you're frustrated. We did nothing to earn or merit our salvation. Rather, it was all achieved because of the atoning, purifying work of Christ on the cross. But our natural reasoning says, if we do not work, how will we ever reach the goal? The Christian life is absolutely paradoxical. I mean, it's, it's weird. Uh, if, if, we, if we do, on, on the outset, we try to do anything, we get nothing. Because Christianity does, doesn't begin with a big do, it begins with a big done. It's finished. The work of your salvation is 
finished. You don't do anything to make yourself better. You don't make yourself more holy. It's done. You are finished. You're already made righteous. That's awesome. Paul explains this in in verse 6, and he invites us to sit down. That's what he tells us to do. Sit down and enjoy what God has already done for us. Not to try and set out to try and attain it and attain it for ourselves or to get better at it. Now let's, let's, let's take a little bit further this, this thought. I'm one of those crazy people that believe everything that is written, every phrase in scripture is there for a precise reason, a divine reason. God knew exactly what he was saying, therefore I want to draw your attention to a small prepositional word, in. In this verse, in verse 6, he says, and he hath raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Little word was such a profound meaning. It carries with it the idea of location or position. Right now, we are actually seated in the sanctuary. We are sitting in the sanctuary on a pew. We are in a building. So here Paul is saying to us that we are literally in Christ Jesus. In other words, God put us in Christ so that what happened to him on the cross literally happened to us. As well, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 6, our old man was crucified with Christ. Watch Mani, another the same guy. He used an illustration to describe this principle. He says, let's say I have a dollar bill, and I put the dollar bill inside of a magazine. And I light the magazine on fire because I'm a pyromaniac. I'm not really, but let's say I was. And I light the magazine on fire. And obviously, the magazine and the dollar bill will be consumed in a bunch of ashes. What happens to the dollar? Can I separate the dollar from the magazine? No. They became one. They are in the sa- they're the same thing. They're turned into ash. That is exactly what happened to you when Christ went on the cross. You are one with Christ. You are in Christ. The same thing that happened to Christ, the same thing that happened to you. Inseparable. Cannot be, cannot be separated. And by the way, you are made completely righteous. You are made completely holy. Already completed. It's done. Now that gives me worth something to celebrate. So it is with us. It's the same thing. So now, we underst- now that we understand that our old man was crucified with Christ, we need to understand our position in Christ. We're sitting with him. The second thing I want to point out to you, it helps you understand this experience of the fullness of Christ. Now let me just pause. The reason why I say you can experience the fullness of Christ, if you don't get it, if you don't understand the first principle that you're in Christ, you're going to miss what's, what I'm getting ready to explain. Because what, the next part of this whole thing is, once you understand you're in Christ, and that's your, that's your position with him, the next thing I'm going to talk to you about is your purpose, what you're to fulfill. I don't think I have to convince everybody that you're in Christ. I think if you're genuinely saved, and, and you know it, and, and Christ is in you, man, there's something happening in your heart, it can't even be described. You sound like an, a weirdo trying to tell people how Jesus changed your life, because you can't put it into words. He's just changed you, and all you know is you're happy, you're excited, and there's a different you now. It's not the same Joe Catronio. It's someone different. Well, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus has changed us. But now let me talk to you about the second aspect, about we need to fulfill our purpose in this world. That's going to help us. That's how we're going to be able to experience this fullness of Christ. First, you understand your position in Christ. Second, fulfill our purpose in this world. It's talking about walking with Christ. All right, now, sitting describes our position with him in heavenlies, in the heavenlies, 
Walking is the practical outworking of our heavenly position here in this world. This is our purpose as Christians. As heavenly people, now listen to this. As heavenly people, we are required to bear the stamp of God's kingdom upon us in, this, in our earthly conduct. Now notice, no, jump, turn over to chapter 4 with me. I'm going to show you this. I know this sounds really weird what I'm talking about, but hang with me. In chapter 4, Paul says some very cool things. In verse number 1, and, and it says this, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, which is the calling, all right? The calling wherewith you are called. So he says, I want you to walk worthy of this special high calling because, hey, According to verse 6 in chapter 2, you're already in heaven as far as God sees it. It's already done. You're already sitting up there kicking up with Jesus. That's what that verse says. I mean, Jesus, it says, the Bible says that the earth is Jesus' footstool. And according to verse 6, you're sitting with Jesus already. I mean, that's crazy. That's, that's a divine perspective according to verse 6. Now, if that's the case, if we are already got this, this heavenly life going on, he says we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of God to earth. We have a different conduct now. We have a different purpose, a different, a different manner of life. And he gives, begins to describe this. So, in verse, it continues, it says, now that you, you have to learn to walk worthy of this calling wherewith you've been called. And he describes it a little bit. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Interesting. The word love, of course, we are very familiar with. Jump down to verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that, that you henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles walk in vanity of their minds. Okay, you get the concept. And then verse 23 actually says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The word walk appears eight times, eight times in the book of Ephesians. And it usually, it, it's used to figuratively describe the, the order of one's behavior. It brings before us this idea of Christian conduct. In chapter 4, Paul tells us, in light of our heavenly calling, we are in a very, we are in every field of relationship of our lives, our family, our friends, our co-workers, you know, our husbands, our wives, our, our neighbors. We, we, are, we are to have a new mindset, a heavenly mindset, a heavenly manner to live by. If you go down to verse 17, he says something that I think is pretty interesting. He says, we're not supposed to walk as other Gentiles walk. Our, our manner of life needs to be different than the other Gentiles or the non-believers. You know, I used to think, and some of you guys are like me, I used to think that that, that was talking about lust. Like, oh, yeah, you know, the, you know, the, old, the, the people who don't know Jesus, man, they're a bunch of drunkards, and they're, they're lustful, and then they, they, they do things that are wicked and, and, and bad. That's not what this verse is saying. That's not what it's saying. The context is talking about walking. It's talking about a manner of life, a conduct. According to this verse, what Paul is telling us to do is that their conduct is going to be different than our conduct. If you think about the, the standard of living in the modern world, people want to be treated right, don't they? They want, they, you treat me right. You treat me with respect. That's the world's, that's the Gentile's philosophy. It's a matter of judging things between right and wrong. You know, if, if, if I need to be treated right, I have my rights, you have your rights, and we're all trying to, and if, you, if you infringe on my rights, I'm going to vindicate my actions. And Paul is saying here that this is, this is not the standard we're supposed to live by. 
We're supposed to have a different manner of life than the Gentiles. We don't look at things from the perspective of right and wrong anymore or how we're going to be treated if we do this or that. The principle now for the Christian is a standard, it's a standard of living that reflects the cross. The principle of the cross is our principle of conduct. Where are you getting this from? You're thinking, what in the world? That doesn't make any sense. Well, go to the very last verse of Ephesians chapter 4, and he says it, point blank. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So here Paul concludes the chapter, forgive one another. Right and wrong is the principle of the Gentile conduct and manner of life. My life as a Christian, just like it is in heaven, is, is to be governed by the principle of the cross. If we only try to do right things, church, no one will truly notice. We have to do something more than what is right. Jesus said, if one asks you to go a mile, go with him too. This is the mindset of Christ. This principle is that of a conformity to Christ. You know, in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to have a different perspective here. Our mind should be having this heavenly perspective. I have to think about the cross here, not about being treated fairly. If my coworker is a jerk to me, I need to be kind to him and forgiving to him and loving to him. Because Jesus was that to me. I have Christ on my mind, not right and wrong. It changes everything. So I'm going to conclude. We're going to go back to John chapter 1 now. I went through this message faster than I thought I would. That's pretty impressive. I honestly have like 15 pages because my iPad shut down on me. So here we go. John chapter, chapter well, we'll go to chapter 2 in a minute. But let me, let me let's go back to this starting point. In, in John chapter 1, we discovered that Jesus is the fullness of life. All the fullness of life dwells in Jesus. And I showed you through Paul's writing that we can experience Jesus' fullness when we get a better understanding of our position in Christ. We are in Jesus. And I showed you that, you, that because of our position, we have a higher purpose to live for. And that's to be focused on loving people and forgiving people. It's, it's not about being treated right or, or treated wrong. It's about the cross. Now, the question that still remains, and it comes to my mind, is if, what if I can't love people? What if I can't forgive people, Pastor Joe? You don't understand how angry I am at this person. It's not, I can't, I can't do it. I can't just go up there to work and, have, and put a smile on my face and act like everything's okay. Or I can't treat my brother this way because he's done so many things to me that bothers me. How, how do I live this higher manner of life that you're describing? Well, let me show you something. In John, we discover this theme of Jesus' fullness throughout the entire book. And I challenge you, if you've never read through the Gospel of John before, sit down and just enjoy it. What you're going to do is you're going to journey with Jesus, and this theme of Jesus' fullness is going to continue to flash in your face. But in John chapter 2, we find Jesus attending a wedding, and his mom gets him into a situation where he gets ready to perform a miracle. I don't, we don't even know if Jesus was invited to this wedding. He just shows up, all right? Jesus shows up to this wedding, and, and here he is. 
And his mom says, hey, hey, you know, you're out of wine. I hear you're out of wine. You know, you, the, the, you know, the wine in this culture was a, was a symbol of joy. I mean, that was how they celebrated parties. I mean, it, it represented life and happiness. And so when they ran out of, uh, out of wine, they're saying, I ran out of joy. The par- there's still so much partying to go on here, and there's no joy to go around is what's happening. All right? So in chapter 2, we find Jesus attending this, this wedding. And the Bible says specifically that there were six water pots. Let's, let's read this, all right? Um, in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, His mother saith, saith uh, unto, unto the servants, Whatsoever he says unto you, I want you to do it. And in verse 6, And there were set there six water pots of stone. And after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three uh, first skins apiece. All right. So here we are told that there's six water pots. And, and can I be honest with you? I, when I watch movies or I read books, I don't like boring details. Are you like that? Don't bore me. Like, when you ever read any history books, anybody do that? Nobody reads any. Okay, history books, they bore me sometimes. You're like, I don't want to know what color his shirt was. What difference does that make if, if he had a red shirt or a blue shirt? It was, he wasn't in a gang. It doesn't matter. You know? so, and so here's the thing. I, I get, boring details bother me. But remember I told you earlier that I don't believe that Anything in scripture is there flippantly. I believe that everything in scripture has a specific purpose and a specific meaning. So when I read this part in scripture where it says that there are six water pots, at first I'm thinking, I don't care. I don't care if there's six. I don't care if there's 1,400 water pots. It doesn't matter to me. Why are you boring me with this? And then I started thinking about it. You know, I'm not a weirdo when I say this. This is true. There's something called numerology in scripture. Numerology is like the study of numbers and throughout the Bible. Some people take things too far, obviously. But, uh, you know, the point being is uh, six throughout the biblical narrative seems to convey the idea of the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. Scholars seem to agree that, that, the, that, that this, is, this indeed is the number that represents man throughout Scripture. And, and apparently, these six water pots were not full, according to the Bible. They were deficient. You know, and I believe, honestly, I believe that, that there is a message inside of this story that Jesus, that, that Jesus is trying to describe to us. Humanity is not full. We are the water pots in this story. All right, now follow me. The Bible says that these water pots were, were not full. They were actually half empty. And, and, and there were six of them. It's representing us as humanity. Humanity is not full. We have all run out of fullness of life and enjoyment I mean, all of us are there, we're frustrated, we can't forgive people, I don't have enough love in me right now to love you. I don't have enough care or compassion to even be nice to you. I'm empty here, I don't want to be next to you. All right, so here, it's a perfect picture of humanity. But here comes the seventh source, which is Jesus Christ. Now seven is arguably the most important number in the Bible. It is the number of completion, it's the number of perfection. But here Jesus tells these men to fill these six water pots that were lacking, and he tells them to fill them up to the brim. I think it's interesting that he tells us to fill it up to the brim. He tells them, why that detail? I want you to fill it up to the brim. And all I can think is this. This is what Jesus does. He fills half-empty water pots, fills lifeless mankind to the brim, and transforms our nothingness into surpassing joy and happiness. That's exactly what Jesus does. 
This is the Christian life. This is the gospel. And it's illustrated through water pots. His first miracle. You know, here, here's the thing. Pastor Tony preached this morning about how, G, how God created everything out of nothing. Hebrew term, ex nihilo, out of nothing he created it. He can take your empty emptiness, your bottomless of, of, of life, the, the lack of joy, the lack of forgiveness, the lack of, of, of happiness, whatever it is that you're lacking. Jesus, it can do the same thing that he did in creation and take the nothingness in your life and fill you up to the brim with whatever it is you're lacking. He's the source. So, like I said earlier, if Jesus is the fullness of life, the only way you're going to be able to experience the fullness of life is if you sit in Jesus. You don't work. You don't try to do things for Jesus. You don't try to impress Jesus with your proverbial good deeds. You, you sit and you enjoy him. And when you enjoy Jesus, what happens is he fills you up to the brim. So when you go to work tomorrow morning and you got that annoying little coworker that just frustrates you by the way he smells or whatever it is, all right? Or maybe you don't have smelly coworkers. Maybe you just have happy people all around you. All right, whatever it is. I have smelly coworkers where I work at. So I'm just kidding. All right, so the point being is whatever it is that you're lacking, you will be able to bring God's kingdom, God's manner of life to this world when you're enjoying Jesus. You'll be able to love people when you're enjoying Jesus. But you can never love people if you do not sit with Jesus. You know, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It comes back to the thing that we all know, sitting with Jesus. I can preach it from every stinking angle in the Bible, but I can't make you do it. The only thing I can do is say, this is the remedy. This is the antidote. Jesus is the antidote. But you have to to believe it. You have to say, yes, I I want that. I'm going to sit and I'm going to enjoy Jesus today. Before I I go to work, I'm going to sit and enjoy Jesus. Before I go to school, I'm going to say, well, you know, I can't. You don't understand how stressed out I am in the morning getting the kids up to bed or getting the kids up to go to school. All right, well, if it's not in the morning that you spend time, spend time with Jesus sometime in the day because you're going to run out empty. You're going to run out empty soon. All right, let's pray. What a simple reminder, but a powerful truth. We are all struggling to be full water pots. And Jesus is the only one that can give us what we need.